Today we're going to close up this series and I'm excited with the, with this message because we are going to address how to stay in love. Often we hear that phrase, stay in love, what it means to stay in love. And so you even hear this, you hear people say, I feel like I've fallen out of love. We've fallen out of love, but somehow we fell into love and then we let ourselves fall out of love. So how do we keep ourselves into a point where we're staying in love? Today, we're going to address that. We're going to look at some practical examples and some applications for you to walk and apply to your life that I'm convinced if I apply them, you apply them in marriages, that our marriages could be off the charts good. And so we're going to wrap up this series with that thought, stay in love, how to stay in love. Grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up and our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Hold your hand up if you need a Bible and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How do we stay in love? Marriage is hard work. And those of us who are married, we know it's hard work. It takes hard work. We have to work at it. It's not going to be awesome and, and Christ-centered on its own. We have to put some effort into it. But it's, I love watching people who are still in love, who still have that, that magic in their marriage and in their relationship. I love watching it, observing it. I see it happen at all ages. It's not just early on, it's late on. But I also know this. I know there comes point when people in relationships, in marriage relationships, where they finally get to a point where they'll say something like this. I've had it. I've had enough. I don't know. I don't no longer love him. I don't, or I don't, I don't, I don't love her anymore. And, and, I, and I, I probably never love them again. And, and even to the point where I've sat with people and you've sat with people who said, you know what? We've just fallen out of love. I don't even know if I loved them in the first place. And so bail out. Often what will happen is because of a variety of things, divorce and walk away. And I always have a question for someone who says, I no longer love this person like I first did when we met them. And I choose not to love them. So I ask him this question. I mean, really think about this. So if you're no longer in love with the person that you're married to, and you choose to walk away and choose to get a divorce, will there come a time when you'll try to fall in love again? Most people will say, yeah, maybe not right away, but I'll choose to fall in love again. So then I'll ask them, so that means you're willing to walk through the courtship, getting to know someone, go through all the, the initial stages of meeting them. And you're willing to walk through that period of, of courtship process. And you're willing to, to continue that. And you're willing to do whatever it takes. And some will say, yeah, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to fall in love again. So I'll ask them, so you're willing to try new things. You're willing to, to work at, at, at being a better person. You're willing to do whatever it takes to, in a new relationship to fall in love. And many people say, sure, I, I know that I don't love this person and, and we're not going to make it, but I'm willing to try it. So I ask this question. If you're willing to fall in love with someone else that you don't even know right now, then why not fall in love with them again? It's cheaper. You already know them. I mean, you're living with them. I mean, really think about it. Why is it that we choose or willing to choose fall in love with someone we don't even know, but we would dare not fall in love with, with him again or her again? Why is it? Because we're selfish. We're, we're, we're sinful. But we would dare not. Like, so I say, why don't you do some of the things that you're willing to do with this new person you never met? Try something new. Explore new habits, new extracurricular activities. Become a new you. And they become a new you. And then, hey, fall in love again with the same person you're supposed to be in love with. Doesn't that just sound like that's what God would want? 
and then have the blessing of God all over your relationship and have his favor all over your relationship. Why not do that? I mean, when you really think about it, it really makes sense to fall in love again with the same person when you're already, let's go to bed tonight. We're already sleeping together. This is, we're married. Let's do it. Let's work at it. It takes work to stay in love. Part of the problem is we think it won't take as much effort in a new relationship. And that guy, he'll be so much better. And that girl, she'll be so much better. And I'll be so much better then. What often happens, not always, but what often happens, you jump into this new relationship. And it's interesting to watch what happens. People get in shape. They go on diets and, and they start grooming themselves and, and they start working out and they start like eating at places they never ate before. And they, you see them like, see these women who've never been outdoors, like they're canoeing down rivers. Like, why didn't you ever do that before? Well, I'm just trying to fall. Well, why don't you canoe down the river with the dude you're with? My hope today is this. To the person that you're married to right now, fall back in love. Stay in love. Make it flourish. And we're going to walk through some, some stages of love. Let me, let, me, let me set some foundation here for this message. It's worth going back and reminding you that there are stages of love that we got to keep in mind. So, any courting relationship, your relationship, began... Generally, with the, with the stage of infatuation, we gotta, you, you got to hear this. You must hear this. Again, it's like you need to hear this like three times every, every year. But there's stages of love. The first stage is, is infatuation. This is the stage where euphoric feelings take over. This is where you daydream about each other. All day long, you're thinking while you're working and, and you're on the assembly line. All you do is think about her. Or all you do is think about him. This is where you could see no wrong in your lover. I mean, no wrong. Someone says something, well, he would never do that. No way. You would never see any wrong in this person. This is a time when the, when the chemical and the hormone PEA is released. It triggers positive attitudes and increased energy. This is a time when the dating relationship and the courtship where you didn't need to sleep like for nine weeks. Just go over and see each other. Oh, I'm just so in love. It's like, I work night shift, day shift, doesn't what shift I work. I work at 24-7, doesn't matter. I'm, when you want me to meet you, I'll meet you and I'll work that night. It's like, there he is again, wide awake. It's like this euphoric feeling. These chemicals are released, PEA. It's where, where, where you do things that, that your body never would never do before or after this. But somewhere between the 6 to 12 month period of this love, this infatuation, which is a dangerous stage because all of a sudden this person shows you attention and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I never felt that before. It's like, that must be the one. That must, she must be the one. He must be the one. And it can be dangerous because you could end up in a marriage relationship and you get married through this infatuation period. And all of a sudden when the, the euphoric feelings and the chemicals run off, it's like, dude, who are you? Something takes over. And so there's this period where you might even settle with the mate that you're with. But like I said in the early series, once, once you marry him, he's the one. She's the one. The second stage is this. It's called post-rapture. This is when people begin to think they're falling out of love. And some of you probably pray for the rapture during this stage. This is when you think you're falling out of love. That was pretty good. I just thought about that. <laughs> but not that I've ever thought that thought with Anne, by the way. <laughs> She might have thought that with me, but not with me with her. This is, a time when the, <laughs> this is a time when the brain and its nerve endings begin to leave the infatuation state. And they go back to the normal state. 
This is where the novelty of, you know, him and her wears off. It's where, where you didn't mind when she chewed her gum and she, she snapped it. It didn't bug you. It's like, and now she's starting to do this. Like, Would you stop that? It's like you didn't notice it in the first 12 months. You didn't notice all this real irritating that he, didn't, he ate with his mouth open and he chomped his food and everyone else noticed, oh, not my man, not my man. And then all of a sudden, this, it wears off. It's like, would you shut your mouth? I mean, it, it's that post-rapture stage. It's where the novelty wears off. It's where introverts talk less because they don't have these, they, they don't have these chemicals pushing them out. It's where, where the pragmatist becomes less spontaneous. And, and the wife says, hey, remember when you just you bought me a dress like every day? And now you're like, we don't have money. It's like, it's all of a sudden you become pragmatic. It, it's where, where p- angry people start losing their temper again and again and again and again. In fact, if you get married during the infatuation period, and then all of a sudden you're into this like five, this two to five year period of post-rapture. You, you're it's like, oh man, what's going on here? And it can be very discouraging during this period. It's where you start focusing on what is wrong with your husband or wife instead of what is right about them. Then you jump into this next level, this, this discovery stage. It's like five to ten um, year period. This is time when you truly care about the needs of your spouse. Most couples don't make it in our world today to this period. You look at the statistics for marriage. In five years and on, they just, they, 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 hardly anyone makes it after five years. It's a time to nurture and respect. And you have this admiration for each other. It's a time when you truly find out what love means. And so the point is, work through these times. And I'm going to give you steps to help you work through these times. But it's a time when you get through the end of this, like, wow, I really do care about this person. I have this deep love for them. And then there's this next level called the connection stage. It's a period of 10 to 15 to 20 years and and, and beyond. It's the expanding commitment time. It's where there's a deepening of the friendship. There's security and there's this lasting friendship. It's an intimate connection takes place and it soars way past what what you even felt during the infatuation. It's like, will I ever feel like I did when I saw them across the hall and they just turned and they smiled in my heart. Yes. But you have to work through these stages of love. The connection stage is a beautiful stage. And it's the stage where most people don't go or ever go. In fact, they bail out during the post-rapture stage. Because they don't feel like they're in love anymore. The connection stage is, is beautiful. In fact, last week when I talked about intimacy in marriage. And we talked about sex between only a husband and wife. Because we said outside of marriage it's sin. And so... We talked about intimacy. Stats show us, and people who, who, who take married couples who've been married for a while, and, and they do all kinds of studies with them. One study showed this, that couples between the age of 50 and 59, that means you've been married a good long time, are the most satisfied when it comes to sex. Can I get an amen from anybody 50 to 59 here? She said, don't you dare, don't you dare do that. They might think we're sleeping together or something. <laughs> It's like there's something wrong with that when you're married. Stop it, would you? It's okay. Married couples have sex and should have lots of it and enjoy it. You heard it here. It's like someone, you mean old people have sex? Yes, they do when they're married and they enjoy it. Gosh. Move on, Jim, quickly. All right, some steps here. 
I'm going to give you some application steps on how to make love last and to stay in love. First one is this. Believe the best. Take notes. Believe the best in each other. Believe the best in each other. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Stand with me. We'll read verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Let's read this together. This is a great application passage on what love is and how to play it out. So let's let's just read. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Ready? Read. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Stop! Think about that. No record of wrongs. Can we just stop there and say, please, in Jesus' name, make that one work. Please, Jesus. Read on. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never, what? Fails. You may have a seat. Is that the case for you? Could you say, yep, my love is always patient. It was patient this morning. Come into Grace Community. When I had a traffic jam with 21 and 36. And why didn't Pastor Jim leave him out earlier? It was very patient. When someone took my parking spot in the, out in the parking lot, it was very patient when I had to stand in line and I didn't get any coffee. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It has etch-a-sketch writings and it just shakes them off. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always, look what it says, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Eugene Peterson said it this way in wrapping up this passage in, the par- in his book, Bible, The Message. He said, love always looks for the best. Always looks for the best. Yet, if we get this down, if we were like, if we shot like, if we batted like 300 with this, we would be a lot better than where we're at. And so the point is to progressively get better. I know because of sinful flesh that we have, it's very difficult to do this 100% of the time. But the point is, is to get better at it. It's progressive sanctification. It's becoming more like Christ. This begins in our mind, though, these characteristics here. And to believe the best in someone. And it's a mindset. It's the area where Satan has won way too many battles. And he's probably winning some battles in this room and in the link and in South Bend, Mishawaka and across the world on the Internet. There's a lot of marriages that are believing lies that Satan is throwing in. And all of a sudden you're believing the worst about your about your spouse because Satan is feeding you these lies that aren't true. You're not checking them out and you begin to believe him. And when you believe him, the, the battle begins here. And when he wins in the mind, your marriage is in trouble. Part of the problem is this, and here's why. Here's why this is such an issue. All of us walk into relationships with desires and expectations. We bring them in. When I came into my relationship with my wife, because we bring in what we saw or what we observed. Generally speaking, if you saw what your parents did, you bring that in. Whether you like it or not, it comes into this marriage relationship. Well, we always did this on Christmas. And every Christmas Eve, guess what? My family always got together. We never got together. We got together Christmas morning. And so the first fight, I'm telling you, I always tell married couples this, is when you do Christmas and if you do it with your, continue to do it with your parents. And I say this, cut the strings, make your own traditions. It makes every parent mad, but who cares? This is the couple. It's the truth. That's one of the things. And you know what? It's the truth. And they'll say, well, we always, we do this every Christmas Eve. 
You mean you're not coming over? And he says, and so I say, make your own. Parents, let them be them. You cut loose. It might change your Christmases. And it's okay. Wouldn't you rather them stay in love instead of still being parenting by you? So you bring these desires and expectations. And so you have them. I saw what my parents did, my mom and my stepfather, who were a great example. Anne saw what her parents did, who were a great example. She brought these desires and expectations in, and I did too. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, they're a little different. Maybe you brought in this. Maybe your parents were like, you know, you budget out and you didn't spend any money and you were tight and, you know, you did all the things you're supposed to do. And Dave Ramsey and you were like this. And, 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 and so you brought that in, which isn't bad, by the way. It isn't bad. You brought it in. And so in your mind, you're going to have your college loans paid off by 27. And so, yeah, someone said, yeah, right. Maybe he says, yeah, right, fat chance. And so you work, 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 and never play and never recreate and, and aren't generous because you have this bill. And he's like, we need to enjoy some time together. And so all of a sudden there's this clash, this collision of desires and expectations. Or maybe you bring this in. Well, my mom had four kids by the time she was 23. And he's thinking, man, we're not having kids till we're 90. I like the Abraham principle. So you bring that in. Just (laughs) desires and expectations. There's a collision there that's there. Or, you know, you bring this expectation. You love, you loved your home. And it's like, you want a house with a white picket fence and you want the the, the landscaping. and, and, And he's like, I don't. I'm not worried about buying a house. I mean, I, I, let's go see the world. Let's travel the world. In fact, let's just go to Africa and eat the bean stalks for like the next three years. It's like, whoa, you didn't tell me that. So you bring these desires and there's this collision. And, and, and all of a sudden these, these desires become maybe your expectations or his expectations. Or maybe he walks in and said, by the time I'm 30, he has a desire. I'm going to kill four elk and three black bear. And... What? You're doing? Yeah, I'm going to hang them on the wall. Dad always did. Well, I never saw your dad's bedroom. <laughs> it's probably good you didn't. <laughs> so, we, <laughs> so we walk in this marriage. And all can go well for a while. During the infatuation stage. But after a while, everything goes south because... All these expectations that you have, they're not being met. And what happens next is this. Let me show you. These expectations in this relationship are, you carry them out on your shoulder. I mean, they're right out front. And so you have this expectations of your husband or your wife, yet... Your expectations and his behavior or hers behavior, it's a lot different than what you expect of them. And so there's this huge gap between expectations that you have of them and the way they play it out. And so whatever you do in this gap area will dictate whether or not your marriage makes it. Whatever kind of attitude you have in here based upon what you hope to be true and what he or she does will determine whether or not you'll make it. Well, you know, an expectation. He said that he would always be home by four o'clock. 
It's 5.15 and he hasn't called. So, we have a decision to make while we're here. We could assume the best in the gap. Well, he must have got tied up and it must be really, really, really important because, because he knows what I desire and yet the behavior's not matching up. And you could, in this point, in this gap, you have a choice to make. I will assume the best. I'm going to believe the best about him. There's a really good reason he's not here. Or you could assume the worst. He doesn't love me. He, he loves his job a lot more than, than he loves me. Any man that, 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 that stays after work or he's there in the office till 5.15, then he must not truly love me. Then... That's the problem. So you could assume the worst. That's the reason. Or you could assume the best. And whatever you do right here in this gap will make or break this marriage relationship. In fact, Marcus Buckingham did a study on on people and married couples. And here's what he found. He found that couples that assume the best and believe the best in their spouse, even if To this point, sometimes the spouse doesn't believe this about himself, that the couple, that the the married spouse believes even more than what they believe, that when they do that and you assume the best about your spouse, that marriages are much more satisfying, greater contentment, and divorce rate is almost nil. So, this is pretty huge what we do here. Well, I think about some, some of these things that we say. You promised that expectation was that we would never spend more than $25 without calling each other. Well, that haircut was just looked so good. And it was such a good deal. And like, like she said, it was the best she could do. And it was $69. We have a decision to make, don't we? We have a decision to make. I could assume the best that that it really was like the best and we look at it and say yeah baby it looked good or we could assume the worst where is this going to take us she cares more about her face than she does my face can you see what happens in the, 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 these expectations and behaviors i mean j- just run, run, run them out just just you said an expectation was that on mondays you would always pick up the kids from school You would always do it. Expectation. Your turn. Behavior is, hi, this is Principal So-and-so. Your little Johnny, he's standing out front. It's five o'clock. You could assume the best. Or you could assume the worst. Well, if he really loved us and he loved the kids, he just loves whatever he's doing, whatever that is. More than he loves Johnny. Listen to me. This attitude will make or break a marriage. So let me ask you this on a real personal level. What kind of attitude do you have when your expectations aren't met by his or her behavior? Where do you go? Are you a person who defaults to saying, I choose to believe the best well, some of you are saying, well, you can put your cute little signs away, Pastor Jimmy. You don't know what, you don't know his behavior. You don't live with him. Just throw that cute little sign out the door. Make another one. I don't care. 
Well, let me tell you this. You know, I've listened to a lot of stories and I've sat with a lot of people and, and I've heard a lot of horror stories. But truth be known, there's probably one worse than yours. And what you do here will make or break this relationship. So what are you going to do in the gap period? Love always, 1 Corinthians 13, looks for the best. Always protects, always perseveres, always trusts, trusts, gap, trust, gap, trust, believe the best, gap, trust, never gives up. Next thing we need to do to help us to stay in love, turn to Song of Songs, chapter 2. Please turn there. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. We took some time in this book last week when we talked about intimacy. Song of Songs, chapter 2. Look at verse 15. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Solomon wrote this book. Watch out for the foxes. Look what it says. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. Our vineyards that are in bloom. In other words, these little outside things that come in that want to destroy what you have, the intimacy that come in from the outside and and it begins to dull what you have on the inside. And Solomon says, watch out for him. In other words, put some bumper guards around this relationship. Satan doesn't enjoy, or he's not like, wow, they really got it together. Let me... He wants to kill, steal, and destroy marriage relationships. Let me begin by saying this, and sometimes this is neglected because we're such physical. Our worldview is shaped in such a physical way. But you and I are spirit beings. We live in a spirit world. We serve a spirit God. We have a spirit enemy called Satan. Yet when we try to battle, we often try to fix it physically. So one of the primary things that we can do to set protection around us and keep the foxes out that want to destroy is through prayer. It's a spiritual battle that we have that will give us protection in our marriage. And men, husbands, let me go after and just encourage you again. You need to lead the way. You saw in the illustrations I've used in this message, and I took the head off of Ken, showed Barbie, and showed a headless Ken with a Barbie that was trying to rule this relationship. God wants you to be the head. You're the spiritual leader of the family, of the marriage. Take that responsibility and say, bring it on. You step in first. You guard the family. You're the protector of the marriage. You guard the gate. You don't let the foxes in. When they come, you shoot them with the 12 gauge, cut their tail off, and wear them on your head. That's what you do with foxes. That's the picture here. But is that the picture with your family? We are to be spiritual leaders. We are the gatekeepers. Guard the gate. Pray over your family. Pray over your wife. Pray for your wife. Make it a habit. Pray through the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6. Put it on. Put it on. It's worth repeating. Every single day, by God's grace, I get dressed physically, and you're glad that I do. I get dressed physically. And I get dressed spiritually. I go through the armor. I pray it on. I put it on. I pray that God would not lead me in temptation and deliver me from evil. Every single day, I do that. And when I miss, I know when I've missed. 
The reason I do that is so that not only can I protect myself, but if I'm not letting Satan beat me up, I won't let him beat my wife up. We talked about sins being passed down to the third and fourth generation. And often we think, well, that's three and four generations from now. I'll be gone by then. Let them work it out. The truth is, when you sin, fathers, it directly affects your children right away. Now, have you thought through that? So when you sin, your little beautiful little girl, your little handsome little son, that little baby, somehow your sin impacts that generation even today. It impacts him. It affects him. It might take favor and blessing off their life. It might remove protection because of your sin. You're the spiritual leader. You know, I love knowing that because it makes me want to stand there with my AK-47 and say, bring it on. See, some of us just kind of just walling around and we haven't put our, our spiritual uh, gear, uh, gear on in no way. We haven't got dressed spiritually and we're out in this battlefield, this spiritual battlefield, and we're in our Speedos. <laughs> That's the picture. And Satan says, there's a family, there's a marriage I'm going to get. What are some of the foxes that come? How about counterfeit pleasure? It's this little pornography here. It's like... Oh, that feels good. It won't hurt if I just look tonight. It's only been three times this month, and it's not as bad as my friend who does it six times a week. And so you let that fox in, and all of a sudden, intimacy is dulled. And all of a sudden, this love that you felt, this pure love for your wife, is no longer there, and you're loving this screen or this image, and you've got to keep going back to get more of this screen and image. And you wonder why that doesn't satisfy you, because it's not real. And this other fox comes in, and maybe it's just an extramarital affair, and, and it's like, you know, you start flirting. And, and, and so, and, and, and Jesus raised the bar in Matthew 5, 28. He says, even if you look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery. Same for you, ladies. I mean, we're not going to let you off the hook either. I mean, think about the ways that, that, that you allow these thoughts and allow, allow them to come into your life. You watch shows like The Bachelor, and you dream that your man was that kind of man. Boy, I wish he had abs like that. Oh, man, he looks so good when he gets out of the pool. And it's like, and you watch this stuff. I'm serious. You watch this stuff, and here's this guy that's sleeping with these ladies. And you think, oh, he's so cool. Look at him. I can't believe that. And then you hear the reports like, he's, he said I do to this lady. And it's like, I can't believe she doesn't want to marry him. What woman in her right mind want to marry a man who slept with six other women in three months? I think she made a great decision. See, but... But, but somehow we justify that and we kind of, oh, it's not so bad. And it's like, man, you know what? Truth be known, your man could have those abs too. If he didn't work for three months and laid in a gym, someone paid him to be on TV. Or you love to read romance novels. Oh, they're not so bad. I got it. You know, they're cheap. I only paid 10 bucks for like 400 of them at a garage sale. I got to read them. I don't want to be wasteful. You know, don't waste stuff that God gave me. And truth be known, even pornography is growing amongst women. We don't like to talk about that, but it is rapidly increasing. Women are addicted to pornography. More and more and more and more and more and more. It, shouldn't, it, it makes sense. Sin digresses. And so you let these foxes in and they destroy intimacy and it destroys communication and it destroys the relationship. And God says, don't let the foxes in. For some, it might even be your job. Or success or the need for more. Get married and we need to have that 54-inch flat screen by the time we're 29. It's like, 
all my buddies are coming over and we're having it. And so you work and you've got to climb this corporate ladder and you put more time into to that and into just loving your wife. And, and for some, your own children can become a fox. What do you mean, Pastor Jim? They're beautiful. And they are. And God gave them to me. Yeah, he did. And they're a reward from God. But listen to me. Priority order. God, your wife or husband, children, ministry, work. And somehow we place our kids above our wives. We place our kids above our husbands. And all of a sudden we get to the end. They graduate from high school and they're no longer in extracurricular activities. We run them to all over the world every weekend. We're not in church anymore. But my kid, like I said a couple weeks ago, she's the pogo stick champion. She's got blue ribbons everywhere. But we haven't sat in church for a month. Praise God. And then they graduate and they leave. And it's like. You look at this man, it's like who you, like every week that you were traveling and cheering your child on, you cheered on together and you cheered her on together. And you had, it's like, and then the child leaves, like you look at each other, who are you? And you have these, you have these scrapbooks of your kids, which are really, really neat. But listen, not at the expense of loving your husband and wife. I'm telling you, that is one of the primary areas right now in this age of time that Satan is using to destroy marriages. You got to have balance here. Listen to me, parents. Love your kids. I do with all of my heart. But my first love was God and my next love was my wife. If we poured one-tenth of the effort of extracurricular stuff that we do into our kids and to our spouses, our marriages would flourish. I'm right about that. Don't let them tear up and be a fox in a relationship. Thirdly, guard your heart. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Some of you right now, you have, you have husbands or wives who aren't in this service because they're chasing their son or daughter down at some athletic event, and it's a regular pattern. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it once in a while, but it begins to separate. Like, if you're married, you need to be gathered for this series right here. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says this. Above all else, do what to your heart? What's it say? Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, there's something that happens in romance and love that brings out the worst in us. I mean, seriously, when you begin to have affections for uh, uh, someone of the opposite sex in a romantic relationship, stuff comes out of you that doesn't normally come out of you in other relationships. Like, I have relationships with guys. It's like the stuff that comes out when we're bumping against each other isn't the same as it is in my romantic relationship with my wife. There's just something that comes out of us. It's just this, this, different, this different attitude, this different emotion comes out when you're intimately connected to someone and then you have this clash or this bump in your life. Something comes out of you when you have these bump times. And every time you get together and there's a conflict, something comes out. Let me demonstrate to you for a second. Let me introduce to you Mr. Blue and Mrs. Pink. Mr. Blue sees Mrs. Pink across the hall or maybe at school or maybe in the workplace. Ooh, you look good. Ooh, and she winks. Ooh, you look good too. 
And so they get to know each other. They draw closer and closer and closer. And, and so then they begin courting. And they kind of walk along. Hey, let's go swinging together. Okay, let's get on the swings. And you never do the rest of your life. Oh, there it is. Let's swing together. Hey, let's go. Let's go down to the park and just hold hands. And let's feed ducks. I hate ducks, but I'll do it. Let's go. And so you have this courting period. That's pretty cool. And so the courting period comes along and then, and then you get married. And, 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 and so after a courting period comes along, you get married, you know, you get intimate. You really like each other. And so you date. All right, enough of that, okay? And so there it is. Then all of a sudden you have this conflict. I mean, you always believed the best in this person. You were infatuated. You just, they could never do any wrong. And you get together and there's this little bump. Ooh, what was that? And all of a sudden, this stuff comes out of you that never came out of you before. And all of a sudden, this stuff comes out of her that never came out of her before. Because there's this bump or this collision in this marriage relationship. And you say, wow, every time I'm with him and we have a bump, he makes me feel like I shouldn't feel. It's like, it's his fault that this stuff is coming out. And no, it's your fault. And so the picture is this. It's like, we will have this bump. And the word of God says this. You think it's her fault. Mrs. Pink, it's all because of you that that anger is coming out of me. Mr. Blue, it's all because of you. And take a little bit of that. (laughs) But what does the word God tell us? You want to write this down. This is really good. What's inside of us comes out when we bump. And what's inside of her comes out. When she bumps. He didn't make that necessarily come out of me. It was already in me. And this feeling that I have for him, I can't blame it on him because I put this stuff in here. But you never see that stuff a lot when you're dating and swinging on the swings and feeding duckies. But when you have a collision, it comes out. And the word of God says what? Guard your heart. Because what you put in, Mr. Blue Bead, guess what? Whose fault is it? You want to blame it on her. But you put it in, Mr. Blue. And Mrs. Pink, yeah, you did too, cutie pie. You put it in there too. And so you have this collision, this massive breakdown. It's like everything's falling apart. And all you want to do is blame him. And all you want to do is blame her. And before you know it, I don't like the way I feel. He makes me feel. But let me tell you something. Feelings aren't sinful. Feelings are just a symptom of another action. And in this case, it's what you put in. So what does that mean to us? We need to put the right stuff in our hearts. If you're not putting the right stuff in your heart when there is collision, guess what comes out? The stuff that you put in there. So what do you do about that? You start paying attention to your heart. It's like something happens and all of a sudden you have this emotion, this feeling. You think, whoa, where did that come from? And you got to say, oh, it came from within. Because I put something in me that wasn't good, that was sinful. 
I put something in that was bad, sinful. I need to go in there and and work that out and get rid of that. And God has a beautiful principle in the word of God. It's called repentance. It's called confession of sin. And so like 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that when we come together and have a bump, you know what comes out? Purity, a good attitude, patience and love, noble things. In fact, Philippians 4, 8, 9, just turn back there, Philippians 4, 8, 9. This was what should come out of us. Finally, it says, Paul says, Philippians chapter 4. Brothers, whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned to receive from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. In other words, fill your hearts with the right stuff. One of the primary reasons marriages are in trouble and fall out of love is because we don't guard our hearts. Last principle. I think this is one that we really need to hit on quickly. It's this. It matters to God. Our marriage relationship matters to God. Look at Mark chapter 10. Matthew, Mark chapter 10. Our marriage relationship matters to God. Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 7 of Mark chapter 10. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not, what? Separate. It matters to God. And so here's what I want to drive home. When you say, I do, not only did you say it to her or to him, you said it to God as a follower of Christ. And when we should follow through with our I do's, not only because we love them, but because we love our God. And when we don't follow through, we sin against our God, who is a perfect holy God, and it hurts him. It matters to him. It's a major missing ingredient in marriage relationships today. Because we're, commitment is hard. Trust is hard. I like to assume the worst about them. Um, um, I like it when we clash and I can blame it on her and, or I can blame it on him because that gives me control. And I like when I'm angry. When I'm angry, she's afraid and, and I can get whatever I want. And I like when, when something comes out of me because I can manipulate and I can hold out on sex and, and I can control and I can lead. I like it like that, Pastor Jim. Throw your cute little beads away. It's working. Is it working? Or are you missing out on what God really wants? Matthew 5.37 says it this way. Simply, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Integrity, character, commitment, trust. It's when you walk through hard times and your expectations aren't being met by his or her behavior, but you say, you know what? With God's help, we're going to work this out and I'm going to assume the best and somehow this love is going to win. Probably more than anything, not only does it matter to God, but he helps us. Just think about your relationship with God. 
when your or his expectations of you don't line up with your behavior, does he kick you out or does he forgive and give you grace? Our marriages need a good dose of grace. Over and over and over and over and over and over. And you might say, Pastor Jim, you don't know. It's, it's like the 490th time. And Bible says seven times 70. I'm done. Think about it. What if God gave up on us after 490 times of our sin? If it wasn't for God's grace, this relationship that we have with him would be null and void. And there would be separation. So maybe we just need to throw some grace in this relationship and forgive and move on and say, hey, let's make this better than it's ever been. Let's fall in love again. Let's chase each other down. I'll go down the river this afternoon with you. Maybe that's all that it would take is for your spouse to see at least you're willing to try. I got to believe that it would Take their heart and soften it. At the end of this service today, we're going to give you a chance to renew your wedding vows. Give you a chance to stand with your wife or your husband, husband and wife. Give you a chance to repeat some vows and say, you know what? Things might be good. They might not be so good. Wherever they're at from this day forward, this is a reminder that I am committed to you. But before we do that, let's listen to a beautiful song that says just that. And these times are good And they're always gonna be They rise and they fall We take them all The way that we should Together you and me Forsaking them all And deep in the night And by the light of day, it always looks the same. True love always does. And here by your side, or a million miles away, nothing's ever gonna change the way I feel. The way it is, is the way that it was. When I said I'd do. That's what I had in mind when I said I do. Well, this whole world keeps changing and the world stays the same for all who came before. 
and it goes hand in hand. Only you and I can do all that we became that makes us so much more, so much more than a woman and a man. And after everything that comes and goes around has only passed us by. Here alone in our dreams I know there's a lonely heart In every lost and found But forever you and I will be the ones Who found out what forever That's what I had in mind. That's what I had in mind when, when I, I said I. You're married here today, even if your spouse is up on stage and you're in this service, I, I want you to stand if you're serving as an usher. Stand and face to face with your uh, wife and husband. Just stand and kids, get out of the way. <laughs> Roll your eyes if you want to, but they love each other. Grab a hold of their hands, look at each other. And uh, this is for the husbands first. So if we have some wives that need to come up on stage, feel free to do it. I'll wait on you. Come on. I'll wait on you, Tammy. You want to come up? Come on up. This is worth it. Your husband serves, and we're grateful. You deserve this time, too. So, husbands, I'm going to say, you can say I, your name, take you, her name, and then repeat after me. And wives, I'll give you a chance. So, husbands, say I, take you. To be my wedded wife. Come on, guys, say it. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, 
to love and to cherish till death us do part according to God's holy ordinances. Ladies, repeat after me. Wives, you say, I, your name, take you, his name. I take you to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death us do part according to God's holy word. For as much as you two have consented together in holy marriage and have declared the same before God in the presence of this church today, I pronounce again them husband and wife in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What God has joined together, let no one ever separate. You may kiss your bride. See you next week.